How's everybody doing tonight? Good. Um, bear with me. It's been a long, long time since I've publicly spoken. Um, I'm going to be starting off with the passage in John chapter 3 and verse 1. I'm going to read to you about a man who is probably uh, raised in a religious household and definitely knew the law and practiced the law on a day-to-day basis. Um, he studied the, the books of the prophets as uh, there were no printing presses back then. Uh, the common Jew didn't have um, scrolls to read from and this man definitely had um, a way to read the, the word of the Lord. Um, so starting off in verse one, there was a man of the Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou dost except God be within him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he was looking at it literally and physically rather than spiritually. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof but canst tell whence it cameth uh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? So still he didn't understand. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Thou art a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? So now he's calling him out, and he says, You've been studying the law for all these years, don't you know? And the Lord goes on to say, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye received not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe then, if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that cameth down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we so... Um, we, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And this is a beautiful picture of how we need to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and not waver and look away. <clears throat> that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And here's the very famous verse, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not to him not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light, is come into the, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Um, anytime you do something bad, you don't go around telling people and bragging about it. It's something that's shameful. And so when the light is present, um, when you're sinning, you withdraw to the darkness. You withdraw to your own private self. Um, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds uh, should be reproved. 
But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, and they are wrought in God. Um, in a similar way, uh, growing up, I was raised in a Christian home, uh, to two parents who are Christian, and they taught me Christian values on a daily basis. Anytime I had a question, or I didn't understand something, or even when I questioned um, what they told me, why, why can't I do that, or why do I have to do things this way, my dad would point over to the Bible and say, bring it over here, and I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so he would give me examples from the Bible uh, whenever I had questions. Um, but at the same time, at this point, I didn't have a personal relationship with God or Christ. This was a relationship that my father had with God and Christ. So this was a God of my father and my mother at this point. Um, but there came a point where I believe Brother Dave Dixon was speaking, and I came to an understanding that I was a sinner and that I needed a savior. Um, it was an understanding, but it wasn't repentance or turning away from what I was doing. And I knew I was a sinner because, and I'll give you an example. One time when I was about 11, my cousin Eris is about 13 and he was living with us at the time. Um, I remember he was pretty mad because he wanted to get a haircut and grandpa couldn't take him to get a haircut. He's been too busy and everything else. So he decided to postpone it for another week and we're supposed to go on to a family vacation this weekend. And so I say, well, you know what? I got some scissors and I know where my dad's trimmers are. We can make this pretty quick and I can give you a haircut. <laughs> so we go out into the front yard and I put out a lawn chair over there and I, he sits down and I put a towel over his neck and everything's professional in spec. I've even got a bottle. <laughs> and I think I just dumped out the Windex and poured in some water and started going at it. And so I start cutting his hair with the scissors and I think five minutes go by, and then I realize at some point, it looks pretty bad. How am I going to fix this? Okay, well, I haven't used the trimmers yet. So I'm going to go ahead and use the trimmers this time and try to see if I can at least make it symmetrical on each side. So uh, a few more minutes pass, and I come to a point where I realize, you know what? He's bald on both sides of his head. And so he's got hair in the back of his head, hair on the top of his head, hair in the front, but nothing on the sides. And I, I told him, I gave him the mirror, and he looks at it, and he, he starts getting red, and he's mad. And right when he starts getting mad, I change the subject, and I say, well, wait until my dad finds out. And so then all of a sudden, color went back into his face. He got fear in his eyes. And as soon as my dad came home, he started getting suspicious when it came around dinner time, and he's been wearing an army hat all day long. So he tells him, take your hat off, we need to pray for the meal. So he looks at me, looks at my dad, and regretfully takes off the hat, and my dad is mad. He's so mad, not only does he beat me, but he beats errors for listening to me. <laughs> and then cancels the whole vacation. So I knew, I knew at that point, and I was a sinner. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, I mistook understanding for believing. And for many, many years, I went on thinking that I was saved just because I understood that I needed a savior and that I was a sinner. And it's just like somebody who's an alcoholic and they say, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, but next day they go back to drinking. So it's not like anything changed. They just understand what their situation is. And um, moving forward a few more years, um, when I became a teenager, I started hanging around with a mixed group of people um, some of them were from Christian backgrounds, 
their parents were Christian and raised them right. Um, other ones were not from Christian backgrounds. And their parents still raised them, you know, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't kill, you can't do this, you can't do that. And so they still had rules and boundaries. Um, but nonetheless, all of them were a bad influence. There was always somebody who could find alcohol, even though we were underage. Uh, somebody else who knew that where the parties were going on or this or that. So I started going to these parties on a weekly basis. I started hanging out with these guys, started drinking a lot. And I didn't realize that what I was doing was wrong. At the time, I thought that, well, I'm not going out and starting fights. Um, I'm not destroying public property. So what's so bad about it? And I went on more years with that mentality and not realizing that a Christian shouldn't be doing this. And so a few more years went by, and I, I graduated from high school. I started going to the University of Laverne. Um, and then I, I was hanging out with some older friends, and we decided, well, we're going to move out. Why not? We're going to live on our own. We don't have to worry about our parents' rules or this or that. We can just be free. And that was the mentality that I had back then. And so we decided to move out. And then unfortunately, every day after that was a party. Every single day we were partying in that place, um, always drinking, staying over late, up into the late hours of the morning and everything else. Um, there even came to a point where I would come home and didn't recognize people in my living room. It was my roommate's friends and this and that and the other thing. Um, I was working two part-time jobs at the time. I was a full-time student. And if I, wasn't, um, if I wasn't studying or working, I was partying. And so I didn't sleep much back then either. And then I remember there came a point where my roommate and best friend, still is my best friend to this day, great guy, and he came up to me and he says, he says, can I talk to you? And he says, do you think that God would send me to hell? And it got me started thinking. And I was trying to give him scripture, and then he says, do you think God would forgive me for all of my sins? And do you think that is Jesus the only way? Can I, you know, just try to be good and just be the best I can be? And so these started sparking other questions in myself, and I started asking myself, am I living like a Christian? Um, how can I give him any advice when I'm living exactly like he is? And so I started thinking, and the next weeks um, served as a weeks of reflection. And I realized that I wasn't saved, and I just had this understanding that I needed a savior and that I was a sinner. And that's as far as it went. And so I repented to the Lord, and I said, please, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I want you to be my savior. And I said, I'll put my full trust and faith in you. And ever since then, I have never doubted my salvation. Thank the Lord. And I just want to read part of John that stuck out to me, and it really explained salvation to me really well. Starting in verse 10 of John 3, <clears throat> Jesus answered and said unto him, Thou art a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? I grew up in a Christian home. Didn't I know these things going into all of that? Didn't I know that I shouldn't be drinking, and I shouldn't be hanging out with these people and staying out late? Didn't I know that Christians shouldn't be doing these things? <clears throat> verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of all heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, 
but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And I realize that it's a daily walk with the Lord. It's something you have to continually look on him to, just like the serpent that Moses raised up in the wilderness. The people who looked away got bitten. And another example of it is Peter. Um, when he was walking on water, he was focused on the Lord, but then he stopped focusing on the Lord and started looking at his surroundings and his conditions, and that's when he started to fall. And so I realized when I read this verse that it's not something that on a weekly basis you cleanse your sins or this or that. It's a daily walk with the Lord, and you have to daily uh, reconcile your sins. You have to ask him forgiveness. You have to have this relationship almost like a father and a son would where you can come to him and tell him anything and feel comfortable and you don't have to feel judged or anything else. Um, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And this really stuck out to me. He's not out there to judge me. He's out there to protect me. And I just imagine on the cross how much shame he had bearing our sins on that cross. And he never committed a sin. But he was up there and he had his own father turned away from him. I can only imagine. <clears throat> and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deed show, um, should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, and they are wrought in God. So that is my testimony tonight, and I will pass it off to Scott. Thank you, Martin. Uh, isn't it just amazing to see how a loving God we have and what he can do in our lives, um, despite how, how little we deserve everything that he gives us? Um, so today I'm going <clears throat> to speak on Jonathan a little bit. Um, I was trying to decide what to speak on, and I was trying to think of things that could relate to me and uh, that might relate to the rest of the assembly, and I... I was thinking, well, I'm a young man, so why not, and we have a lot of young men in this assembly, so why not look at young men in the Bible? And I immediately thought of David and Jonathan. Uh, <clears throat> I thought, you often hear things about David, but you don't often hear people give messages on Jonathan, so I thought that I would dig into his life a little bit more. Um, so tonight we'll be looking at the book of 1 Samuel, um, tra tracing through his life and just looking at some of the traits that he possesses and how we could apply those to our life and uh, to the lives of the saints. Um, but first, I just want to pray once again, because um, I think I need it. <laughs> All right. uh, dear Lord, we just thank you again for everything that you provided for us, Lord. I just thank you for this opportunity that you have blessed me with to come up here and uh, be your mouthpiece today, Lord, that I might uh, show forth what you want the saints to hear through me, Lord. And I pray that you just uh, bless this time that we have in the Word that each and every one of us can take something from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so first, I just want to list some of the characteristics of Jonathan that I found when I was reading through his life. Um, so Jonathan was, like me, he was a young man. Um, he was loving, 
selfless, brave, strong and mighty, caring, humble, encouraging, godly, and a man of great faith. Um, so some of these things will appear over and over in different passages that we see. Um, some will just hit on once or twice. Um, but I think the one that I found to be very consistent in his life was just that he was a loving person. And kind of like we were talking about this morning with Rick, um, <clears throat> um, his love uh, spread through everything that he did, especially with David in mind. Um, so first we're just going to flip to Samuel 13, or First Samuel 13. Um, this is the first time we hear of Jonathan. And then I'm just going to read um, chapter, verses 1 through 5 of 13. And uh, before this time, there was just a big battle occurring between the Israelites and the Philistines. Um, so verse 1, it says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, uh, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, uh, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah and of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard uh, say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also had, was, had an abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Gilgal, or after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from beth Um So Jonathan with 1,000 men went and smote the garrison of Philistines. Um, now, I, I had to look that up. I didn't know <clears throat> what a garrison was. And a garrison is just a term for a military camp. Um, I found in, well, it says in verse 5, um, the Philistines had 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and as many people as the sand which is on the seashore. Um, I heard, I saw in an article, it said that there were probably somewhere between 50 and 80,000 troops. Um, and then in verse 2, it says, Saul had with him 3,000 men of Israel. Um, so even just thinking there, there's, Saul and Jonathan and 3,000 men up against somewhere between 60 and 80,000 Philistines. Um, and the, the first thing that I thought of was just how great of faith do these men have. Um, that they, 3,000 people against 60 some thousand, which is odds like 20 to 1. And the, the amount of faith that they need to go into a battle like that to begin with is incredible. And the faith that they have through God in that situation. Um, and Jonathan, uh, their, their leader, and must have had all the more faith since he had to, to encourage them and lead them on and try and get them to obey him and the Lord in this attack. And so just faith is the first characteristic that I saw in this passage. And then later on in chapter 14, we hear that Jonathan has an idea. Um, in 14 verses 1, it says, now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young men that bear his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And then over to verse 6, 
And Jonathan said to the young men that, that bear his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart, turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, I will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor-bearer, and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about twenty men, within, as it were, a half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked, so it was a, great, a very great trembling. Um, so one thing I saw here initially, not even on Jonathan, but his armor bearer, um, in verse 7, uh, Jonathan proposes this almost suicidal mission um, where it says they suit 20 men. So it's 20 versus 2. And so they go up, and he proposes this attack. And his armor bearer, without a doubt in his mind, says, Do all that is in thine heart, turn thee, behold, I am with thee, according to thy heart. And so even his armor bearer, who is with him, I'm sure um, the character of Jonathan rubbed off on him. Um, he, the, his armor bearer's faith in Jonathan and in the Lord was incredible. That without a doubt in his mind, he, was, he said, whatever you want to do, I'm there with you, and we'll be, we'll be fine because the Lord is on our side. Um, more so, Jonathan's faith and his trust and knowledge of the will of God allow him the courage to carry out this attack. Um, he said in verse 6, nothing restrains the Lord to save by many or by few. Um, he knew that there were no limitations to God's hand. And so they went up, they attacked the garrison, and Jonathan in the lead, and it says the Philistines fell before him and his armor bearer slew them after. And their first slaughter, which I'm assuming there's more after that, um, was about 20 men in the span of half an anchor of half an acre. And so I had to get this into my head. Um, if you think about a football game, there are 22 players out on the football field at one time. And if you think of Jonathan and his armor bearer, there's two guys, probably pretty young, especially his armor bearer, went out against 20, 20 guys in just the span of about 45 yards of a football field. And the way I thought of it, I mean, and they're, they're the Philistines. And I was thinking if Goliath was a giant, I'm sure he wasn't just a fluke, and most of the rest of the Philistines are pretty big as well. Um, so I thought to myself, imagine me and, say, Logan, my armor bearer, going up against, <laughs> going up against 20, 20 like, NFL football players in just the span of about 45 yards and just saying, oh, the Lord has blessed this fight. We will overtake him. We'll be fine. And just charging in and, and doing what the Lord had planned in that attack. And so... Um, just the amount of faith that they showed, the, their strength, their might, their courage, and an understanding of the Lord's will. 
Um, so just more things that, that Jonathan showed along with his armor bearer. Um, so uh, moving on, we'll go to chapter 18. And then verses 1 through 4. Now, from chapters 14 to 18, a lot has happened. Uh, we get introduced to David, the son of Jesse. Um, we see his anointing. We see his defeat over Goli- or his victory over Goliath. Um, and he has also started playing music for Saul um, when, he has, when he is troubled with the evil spirit. Um, so in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 18, it reads, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home unto his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Uh, So we, where was it? So it says, Jonathan loved him unto his own soul. Um, this is not just your normal friendship. Um, this isn't like the relationship you have with your friends in high school that you haven't talked to in a while or that you, that you just kind of say hi, how, 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 how are you? Um, this is completely different. This is um, a selfless, um, completely loving... Um, sorry. Um, sorry, so this is, um, man. Um, so if you think about it, you are not invested in a lot of people in your lives' lives. You're, you don't really know what's going on with them. You don't really, you don't see them and say they look down. You're not always going to go over there and say, oh, what's going on? Or you're not going to cry if they're crying. You're not going to grieve if they're grieving. You're not going to, um... You're not going to celebrate when they celebrate. But what Jonathan felt towards David was different. Um, it's to love someone as your own soul is to, it's not just to like, care about what's going on with them, but it's to, um, to, to really, um, to give them the clothes off your back at times or to, um, sorry. Um, to, well, it says he knit their souls together in love. So it's not like the, the amount of love that they have for each other is something that you are willing to give your life for, something that you care so much about their life more so than your life. Um, you care what's going on in their life. You care um, if they're hurting, if they're happy, if they're celebrating. You don't just ask what's going on, but it's something that you are so invested in their life that you care more than what's going on in your life. <clears throat> Um, and so when I thought of this, um, I thought that this is the kind of love that we should have for one another, um, for the saints. But, but do we? Uh, honestly, in the breaking of bread, I probably don't know every single person's name. And if I don't know their name, how am I going to love them? How am I going to know what's going on in their life? Um, and even for those people that I do know pretty well, like some of the young men, some of the young people here, do I know what's going on in their life? Do I know what they're struggling with? Do I know what they're, like, what they're grieving over? Do I know what they're going through? So this was 
pretty convicting to myself. If we hardly care or love or know what's going on with our fellow saints, how, especially in our own assembly, how then are we going to care and love about or love the saints in different assemblies across the nation or across the world or missionaries elsewhere, let alone all the unbelievers that we see day to day walking around, the, the people that we work with, the people that we see at the grocery store. If we're not going to be loving our own saints with a selfless love like Jonathan and David and wow, Christ loved us, then how are we going to love others enough to want to witness to them and bring them into this fold. Um, so another trait, to love another like yourself. Um, also in verse 4, it says, um, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Um, so these weren't normal belongings that anyone could go get. Like Jonathan didn't just stroll into Walmart and go buy these robes. These were, these were his royal attire, clothes that only the king and the king's family would have been wearing. Um, and for Jonathan to take these off and give them to David um, is a symbol, a symbol showing that Jonathan knew the will of the Lord for David and that he was the anointed king and that he was going to be king. Um, it symbolized Jonathan, in a way, handing over his rightful privileged position as the heir to the throne. Um, and the acknowledgement that David would be the next king of Israel. Um, so he, he was loving and selfless, but he also knew the will of the Lord. And he was humble enough to give up what was his for the Lord's plan for David. So if we flip over to 19, uh, verses 1 through 7. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art. And I will commune with my father of thee and what I see that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, let not, the king of, let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee word very good. For he did put his life in his hand, and slew the Philistine. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it, and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against the innocent blood, to, say, to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul sware, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, Jonathan showed him all these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. Um, so Saul orders Jonathan and his servants to kill David. So Jonathan immediately goes to tell David that, he, that Saul ordered this. Um, he tells David to go and hide until Jonathan had talked to Saul for him. He talks to him and reasons with him. He tells Saul how great he is, that um, he's a great and mighty soldier, what he did with Goliath, and just rejoicing him, interceding for him, really, um, telling Saul um, that, um, that he hasn't done anything wrong towards him, so why do a wrong towards David and slay him? Um, and so Saul at the time said, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. So everything went back 
to normal. And this was because of Jonathan's act of love for David. Um, if he didn't care that much about David, he wouldn't have warned him. He wouldn't have told him. But he, he loved him so that he went and said, hey, this is what's going to happen, but I'm going to try and stop it for you. I'm going to try and intercede for you with the king so that this will not happen in your life. Um, and so if we flip over to 1 Samuel 20, verses 1 through 4, And David fled from Naoth in Ramah, and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father, that he seeketh my life? And he said unto him, God forbid, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it to me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord liveth, and as, the, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. And so, um, in this time, um, they were discussing again, why is this happening to me? Like, why is Saul trying to kill me? And he says, there is but a step between me and death, meaning he could quite possibly die and be killed by Saul at any moment. Um, Jonathan then replies, whatsoever thy soul doeth, I will even do it for thee. This is showing the heart of a servant within Jonathan. Again, love is his motive, but he is willing to do anything to serve David, um, to offer anything that he requires in his time of need because he loves him and he is putting David's interest before his own. So David sets up this plan with Jonathan to talk to Saul and figure out if he is still trying to kill him. At dinner the second day, Saul asked about David to Jonathan, and Jonathan tells him that he went to Bethlehem to make a sacrifice for his family. Um, and then um, Saul becomes immediately very angry with Jonathan. He curses Jonathan and his whole kingdom as long as David lives, is what the verse says. And when Jonathan asks why Saul wants David dead, he throws the javelin at Jonathan, his own son. So Saul is so enraged with David for some reason that even his own son getting in his way is going to cause wrath. Um, he tries to kill his own son purely because he is trying to stand up for David. Um, and to stand up to someone's, or someone's own father and who is the king to try and look out for your friend is incredible. Um, to, I, I thought of myself, if, if I was trying to do that with my dad and say like he was angry at Nick for something he did at work and I tried to stand up for Nick, I'd be a little frightened too. But, <laughs> um, but this, is what, this is what he does. He intercedes again, trying to help David and reason with Saul. But Saul will have none of it, and he even throws the javelin at his own son. So Jonathan left, and he has this plan with David um, beforehand uh, that he will shoot his arrows with his, with his young lad. And if he tells him, oh, the arrows are past you, then that's a key for David to, to run away, that he needs to leave, that Saul's still trying to kill him. And so that's what happens. Um, and before he leaves, um, he comes back to Jonathan, and they weep together. And um, 
And they made another covenant saying, the Lord be between me and thee, between my seed and thy seed forever. So everything that he does for him is just showing this selfless, servant-like um, attitude of Jonathan and showing this love from Jonathan to David. He goes to any lengths um, to try and help David out in his time of need, even standing up to his own father, the king. Um, and then in, if you go to chapter 23, um, so after this happened, David fled to the area of Nob and then to Gath and then to Adalam. Um, he also uh, defeated a group of Philistines in Keilah, or, yeah, and then flees into the wilderness uh, when Saul again pursues him. Um, so if you look at 23, verse 13, uh, Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah, and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah, and he forbore to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds, and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David unto the wood, and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel. And I shall be next to thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. And they too made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. So here's another characteristic of Jonathan that we all should try for, which is encouragement. He goes to David, who has been running from Saul, and fighting Philistines, and running some more, and hiding with his men. And he strengthened his hand in God. Oftentimes, we as individual saints... Uh, get very discouraged or depressed um, with what we are going through or if we're not living right or if we're going through trials and tribulations. Um, and this also is why we need to be loving like unto yourself because if we are with saints and we don't even know if they are going through these things, these rough waters or these choppy times, then we, how can we know that we need to encourage them? Um, so again, we need to we need to be so invested in each other's lives that we know what we're going through enough and we need to be loving them enough to care about what they're going through. And so at that point, then we can encourage them after, only after we know that they are down in the dumps and they need lifting up. <clears throat> so if we see someone else going through these, um, these rough times, uh, we should do two things. One, which Jonathan did, um, we need to be strengthening their hands in God. So we need to come together as saints and bring them back to the word of God. Um, um, of course, we're not perfect. Our love's not perfect. But our imperfect love can bring them to the perfect love of Christ in the word of God. Um, we can... Um, the key here is to encourage the saints in God. We need to use... Um, what God has in his word, what his promises towards us and his love towards us to encourage the saints that anything is possible through God and whatever we're going through at that time is what God's plan is for us. So if we can do that, if, 
<clears throat> if at first we can love them and care for them enough and know them well enough to understand what they're going through and that they are going through something to begin with, then we can figure out what they are going through and then we can encourage them through the word of God. Um, so it's, it's a long process that all ties back to love. <clears throat> um, and then the second thing we can do is pray. Um, again, we need to know this situation is occurring to begin with. But <clears throat> say we don't have the gift of encouragement or we don't have the gift of knowledge of the word of God to show them where to go or anything like that, we can at least pray. Um, we may not be the best at prayer. We may not do it as often as we should or do it the longest or anything like that. But even if, if we care for our saints enough and we are loving them and, we, and they come into our minds to a point where we remember that they need encouragement, um, even just a short prayer such as, Lord, be with so-and-so, encourage them, strengthen them in your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. And something that simple um, can, can work wonders through God's mighty hand. <clears throat> also, in verse 17, it reads, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. This once again shows the humbleness of Jonathan. Um, his acknowledgement, despite the fact that he has the birthright to the next heir of the king, um, he knows that uh, it is that David will be the next king of Israel. Um, he doesn't let pride get between himself and David and their friendship. Um, he, knows, um, he knows the decision of the Lord, and he knows the will of the Lord enough to that he can help it, or, and he can do his part in humbling himself um, to better David and his success to the throne, and also fleeing from Saul. Um, and then it says, um, well, Jonathan knows and, and is satisfied with the fact that he will be next unto thee, um, unto David, and which means he's, he knows he's not going to be the successor to David, but he will be his second in command with him um, in a way which is where he already is with Saul. So he's, he's satisfied with not moving up and being the same place, but being able to work with Saul or with David um, once he is king. <clears throat> so it, here is just, um, it's a self, selfless, self-denying, loving um, aspect of Jonathan. He is willing to give up his birthright as king. He's willing to give up everything that he has um, in order to, um, to work alongside David, and he knows that that's the Lord's will for David to be king. Um, and so one thing, as I was reading through the life of Jonathan, uh, every time I saw his name at the beginning of a new passage, it always said, um, and Jonathan, Saul's son, um, or something along those lines. Always, always relating it, always relating Jonathan into Saul's, or being Saul's son, which I kind of found odd, um, because the phrase is relating Jonathan back to Saul, his father. Um, however, if you think about it, they are nothing alike. Um, except for blood, they don't share any really, they don't share any qualities. Um, if you think about Saul, he was jealous, he was selfish, prideful, stubborn, 
angry and hateful towards David. Um, and then Jonathan was the exact opposite. He was selfless, humble, loving, godly, patient, courageous, encouraging, and caring for David. Um, so these are all qualities that we should try and find in ourselves, um, all qualities that are also reflected in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so if I can leave you with, with just a, the one, something to, to think about this next week um, is to be more like Jonathan and more so like Christ, um, in that uh, we should have the heart of a servant. We should be encouraging the saints. We should earnestly care for one another. Um, show earnest love towards each other, a selfless Christ-like love for the saints. And um, let this love get us to know one another better so that we may love each other more and more as we go. And with that, um, we'll close in prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you once again, Lord. We, you have shown us what your hand can do in our lives, Lord, how strong you can work and the changes you can bring about in our lives. I pray that you would just bless us this week as an assembly, as saints, as individuals, that you can give us a mindset more like you, Lord, that we may have a selfless love for each other, that we may care about each other and want to know more about each other, that we can better uplift each other and work with each other and encourage each other through our lives, because, Lord, we know it's not easy. Lord, we pray that you just be with us this week and remind us of these things and what we can work on and how we can treat each other, Lord, and just keep our hearts aimed towards you, Lord. In your name.